Welcome to the Good Life Podcast, 30 Minutes With. I'm your host, Tim Cadney. Today, I'm spending 30 minutes with Senior Divisional Manager Wes Lander. We're going to find out who Wes is, learn what makes you an engaging presenter, and also Wes is going to tell us a bit about his fascination for astronomy. Welcome to the show, Wes. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so, you know, Wes, uh, this show's about getting to know you and for us to learn who you are and learn some stuff about you. So the best thing to do would be to start with who. What's your good life story? Yeah, you know, I, I just had my 21-year anniversary with Good Life. So I started with Good Life tw- 21 years ago, and I started in London as a personal trainer. I had a, I had a job. I was going to – I had just graduated from university, and I was going to go move down to the States and coach a baseball team, a, a college baseball team in Kansas, in the beautiful town of Coffeyville, Kansas. And just right before we could finalize the details, we had to start to work through uh, getting a work visa. And that was going to be a bit more time consuming than we had anticipated. So in the meantime, I needed to find a job and it was just going to be a temporary job until this work visa came through. So, so I started working at the, the old Windermere Club in London, which doesn't exist anymore, but um, it was awesome. And I just, I, I fell in love with Good Life. I fell in love with the members and the staff and you know, after a few months, my buddy, he actually left to go and go and play baseball down in the States. And I ended up taking his position. I took his spot. So I, I took on the PT coordinator role. And uh, I did, I was at that club for about a year. And then we went to open a new club in Chatham. I was offered the position of going to be the manager there. Now, back then it was before we even had club general managers. So I was what was called an operations manager. And I was there for almost a year. And then an opportunity came up to come back to London and, and manage the, it's now called the King and Wellington Club in London. Uh, back then it was Galleria Club and the Galleria Mall. And at the time, it was the biggest club in the company. And our home office was inside the club. Basically, Patch's office was inside the club. There were a lot of people that worked in the back of the club where we had a home office. And then eventually home office moved across the street uh, on King Street. So I thought it was a great opportunity. Not only was it the biggest club in the company, which I thought was great, it was a club in my my hometown where I grew up in London, which was great. And I thought, you know, if I if I can do a good job there, this is the club that Patch works out at and Jane works out and all the other home office associates were going to work out in my club. And I thought it was a great opportunity. And, and sure enough, it was because I did that for about a year, just over a year. And then I got offered a, a, a job as a divisional manager. And I've been an operations divisional manager now for the last 17 years. I think in it'll be 18 years on September 1st. Um, in the last almost 18 years, I've had an opportunity to work uh, either directly with clubs or, or with different divisional managers, literally coast to coast. I think the only provinces I haven't overseen a club in at some point are um, Saskatchewan and Prince Edward Island. So I still have those two provinces to cross off, but I've, I've been involved in all kinds of different projects over the years and uh, all kinds of different clubs and divisionals and different roles and evolutions of good life, I think, over the years. So it's been really cool. I got, I got to touch on this. I didn't know this. How, what was it like to be a manager of a club where the founder and CEO has his office in, like Patch being there at any given time? Was there, was there like an upside to having, I mean, obviously there's an upside, but what was it like to have Patch there? Well, it, it was fun. I mean, I got to know Patch pretty well, you know, and I thought that was cool. And Patch got to know me pretty well. Um, there, there is, you know, there, there are challenges for sure where, you know, Patch was constantly coming into the club and a couple times a week he'd be in the club and he'd just kind of walk up to me and, and say, you know, Hey, Hey, you busy right now? And I'd be like, yeah, yes, I'm busy. I'm, I'm 
managing the biggest club in your company. And he'd kind of say, well, grab a clipboard and come with me. And Patch loves, still loves, but he used to always love working out on, on those cross aerobics machines. And we used to have one in all of our clubs. Now most of our clubs don't have them anymore. But, you know, I, I think if you've ever seen the old cross aerobics machine, you would know that it probably sat empty for most of the time. Unless Patch was in your club because he was the one that would work out at it the most and, and he loved it. But Patch would go and he'd go to the cross aerobics machine to get his cardio in for the day. And I would have to stand beside him with a clipboard and he would just randomly start talking to me and kind of like whatever he was talking about, I'd have to jot notes down and, you know, it's, and he would talk about how to make the club better. He, we would brainstorm. So we got to bounce ideas off of each other about how to get sales up or how to get service up or how to increase personal training or, or whatever the case was. It was great. Like, I think there's, there's a pressure for sure, because, you know, you, you are in the spotlight. And there's a pressure for sure, because every time anything happened in my club that didn't go well, Patch would know about it. So <laughs> there was that pressure. But like I say, there was also the opportunities that when you do a good job, it's you, you still get the same spotlight and Patch is going to find some of those little things that you do really well. So I, I loved it. And that was a big part of the reason why I took the club, but it, it really turned out to be a great experience. And it, it really is because of that experience that I ended up getting my divisional job. A, a funny story is that when I applied for my divisional job, I was... I butchered the interview. I was terrible, like terrible, terrible, terrible in the interview. And I, I left feeling so bad and I knew I wasn't going to get hired. And it just, I knew I was going to have to wait my turn at, at a later date. And then they called me and offered me the job. And I remember talking to Jane about it. I saw her at a function, I think a couple of weeks after I had been offered the job. And I, and I had mentioned to her, I said, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you had hired me. Like, now that the ink is dried on the contract, I can say this, but I'm kind of surprised you'd hired me because I, I didn't think I did very well at the interview. And, and Jane kind of looked at me. She's like, well, you didn't. She's like, we're surprised <laughs> we hired you too. But she said, she said, you know what? We've just seen you day in and day out over the last year, year and a half. She said, we, we knew what you could do. And, and we knew that the interview was just, you know, you, you, you were off maybe for, for an hour, a couple of hours or whatever it was. So it, it really was because I was at that club that I ended up getting the job that I have. So I'm grateful for that. That's so great. What a great story. And it's true. I mean, some of us are not good at the interview room. Nerves get the better of us, but it really, really accounts to what you've done in the past. That kind of makes the measure. So the, the big topic I want to talk to you about today is presenting and presentation skills. And, you know, I have the opportunity to see you present many times and just been captivated by your presentations. And, you know, there's a great quote by Simon Sinek. It says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. And I also would say a presenter. So first, let's focus on live presentations being in person. So what do you feel are your pillars for presenting? Like, what are the must haves and must do's for you? I think if I'm presenting, there's, there's always really a couple of things that I start to think about as I'm preparing for presentations. One, and again, I don't, whether it's live or um, virtual, I think it's so critical to know who you are as a presenter and be sincere to who you are. It's, I, I think we've all probably sat in on presentations in a variety of different settings where the, the presenter was trying to be somebody else and it comes across as, as fake and insincere really doesn't seem to work. So I think a big part of it is I always, I'm, I try to be very conscious of who I am. And, and this could be things like, you know, are you the type of person that moves around a lot? So I tend to be a person that moves around a lot when I talk. That's true to who I am. It's the way I think best. It's the way I engage with others. It's the way I interact with people. Um, so 
I, I, I try not to be a podium speaker. If, if I can at all avoid it, and that might be more of the live presentation part, but if I can move around, that's part of who I am. I'm not going to try to stay still because I saw somebody else do it. You know, I think of things like maybe the language that people use. You know, if, if you're the type of person that might use a little bit more, let's say off the cuff or inappropriate, or maybe, you know, you swear a little bit and that's just part of who you are, then that to me, I think could be intertwined in your presentation skills. Having somebody who maybe speaks in, in a certain type of language that, like I say, maybe they, they swear a little bit. I'm not saying you would necessarily need to be dropping F-bombs every other word in a presentation. <laughs> Still needs to be professional. But, you know, to have that person go up and try to try to speak in the Queen's English, it's just, it, it's not going to work very well. It's, it's going to make, probably makes the presenter really uncomfortable. And if you're trying to be somebody that you're not, when you're uncomfortable, the audience can sense it. So I think you have to have this good understanding of what are your strengths? How do you present things? Like one of the things that I think I'm good at and I often get compliments on is that ability to tell stories. It's part of how I present. I try to make a point and then I will share a story that illustrates that point. So I think just having this idea of where are your strengths and who you are as a presenter, that's, that's a really key piece. The other part that I think that goes hand in hand with that is knowing who your audience is and seeing how you can mesh those two. You know, again, like I used the example of language before, if, if I'm up there and I'm swearing a little bit, but the audience is expecting the Queen's English or you have an audience that's not going to relate well to swearing or the opposite might be the case that maybe they're expecting a little bit of, you know, some of the the harsher words, let's say, and, and you're up there not speaking the, the right language, that doesn't seem to work very well. You know, I think of things like I've sat in on presentations where, you know, you have an expert speaking in very advanced terms about something to a group of beginners. You know, you imagine in, in our industry, you imagine a group of people that have never exercised before, and we're getting into like really into the weeds about fitness. It's just, you're going to miss you know, or sometimes the opposite's the case again, where, you know, you could, you know, I might be an expert, but I might try to, you know, make my presentation at a, at a lower level, at a very much a beginner level, and it just bores the, the audience. So I think you have to have an understanding of who your audience is, what level of knowledge they're at, what they're looking to hear, and how they're looking to hear it. And if you can kind of mesh those two to know who you are and know who they are, you can usually find a happy medium in the middle that'll really work well. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, I think it's one of the hardest things to kind of discover like what your presentation style is because we, we sometimes get in our heads a little bit, you know, we get nervous in front of an audience. Um, you know, the, the interesting fact that more people fear public speaking than they do fear death. Great examples where we see it is, you know, at sales launches where we ask a top performer to come down and they may or may not have a comfort level to speak in front of that crowd. So what would you say is your like get ready, get into the moment, get into the zone kind of go to before you get up on a stage and present in front of a crowd? One of the things that excites me, I, I get really excited about teaching people. I, I love to learn. And I think that most people that love to learn, they also love to teach. So for me, I, I get into the zone because I get really excited about what I'm about to teach. And I really start thinking about the impact that what I'm about to do is going to have on the people around me. That's it's the reason why I got into it. It's, it's, it's the reason I maybe why I've stayed in this industry for so long and why I've been successful is because I'm really passionate about impacting others and having a positive impact in other people's lives. So if I'm about to give some sort of presentation and I feel that there's value in it, 
then I get, I just, I just get amped up knowing that the people in the audience are going to leave, even if it's just with one thing, you know, knowing that they're going to leave with one thing, one takeaway that they didn't have at the start of the presentation, just, it, it really gets me excited. So what would you say is your preparation for a presentation? You know, we feel that there is like, you know, 90% preparation and 10% is actually doing it. So what do you do to prepare? It's a great question. And it's this, there's this like almost paradox, I think that, and I wouldn't want to put myself at the level of other great presenters, but I know the paradox is that often the better the presenter is, the more they look like they're just natural or that they don't work very hard at it. The thing I would always say to people is that the better the presenter is, I can pretty much assure you the harder they're working at it. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, one of the stories I sometimes share with people is, is the way I, I prepare for sales launches. So for those that don't know, a sales launch is a, it's a, it used to be back in the day, it used to be a monthly meeting. We turned it to quarterly meetings, but either way, it's, it's this meeting that we have for our sales associates. And it's, it's been, you know, either a two hour or three hour meeting, but my preparation for that, let's say two or three hour meeting is that I spend the day before it preparing, going through the slides, putting the slides together making sure I understand the content, making sure I'm practicing it a little, a little bit. I'll sit in my office and I'll, I'll go through slide by slide, practice what I want to say. I'll adjust the notes. I'll, I'll just, I'll make sure I've got it right. But it's really like a, a full day to practice, rehearse, go over it again. Um, and then the day of the sales launch, I, I've, I've always shown up to my sales launches two hours in advance. Now I want you to understand this. I'm getting to a two hour meeting, two hours before the meeting starts and the reason why I do this is because I'll get to the, whether it's a movie theater or a hotel or the, wherever the meeting room is, I'll get there in advance. And again, I, I will go through the entire presentation from start to finish. And I move myself through the room as I'm doing it, because I want to see from, you know, from the back left corner and the front left corner and the back right and the front right in the middle. I, I want to experience, you know, what does the sound you know, what does the sound sound like? If you're sitting in the, in the front, is it too loud? If you're sitting in the back, is it too quiet? You know, what does the vision, what do the visuals look like? If you're sitting in a certain spot, does it become very difficult to see? Is there a glare at some point if you can't see it? So I, I try to just navigate through the room, but I will actually go through the entire presentation because I want to make sure that I can see the presentation from every individual spot. So I can ensure that every individual is going to at least have the best experience that I could create. I couldn't agree with you more there. Yeah, you have to know your space. And I, yeah, I think it's, I, I personally think it's very important to walk the space that you're going to be presenting in, really get an idea where people might sit, how you want to kind of, you know, adjust your viewpoints or your eye lines to make sure that you're connecting with each and everybody. And, and also just know, right. Like if there's a stage, like how far can I walk without falling off the stage? Right. You just <laughs> want to be so cognizant of your surroundings. So, you know, when we take the difference of, of, of talking about, this is how we're presenting live. This is all the preparations we do for live. We're now in this virtual world and I really feel teams zoom is here to stay and it's going to allow us to have a larger reach when we do present. How have you adapted to making online presentations? I think a lot of the same principles apply to a virtual world. So it's still, I want to know my strengths, who I am as a presenter. I still want to know who my audience is. And, and I still want to see if there's ways that I can experience things through my audience's eyes. And, you know, some of the little changes that, I, you know, you might have to make that is, are sometimes really tough is, you know, if you want to make a connection with your audience members, if you imagine in a live setting, how you connect with an audience member, it might be through making eye contact. 
but now we're living in a virtual world, so I can't make eye contact with you. But as weird as it is, I see a lot of presentations where people are busy watching themselves in the little part of the bottom of the screen, and that's not making eye contact with your audience members. So if I'm presenting virtually as much as possible, I try to look in the camera. So if you're the audience and you're on the receiving end of this, it'll look like I'm looking at you. Like there is a, there's a way to connect in that sense. I also think of things like what your background looks like. You know, a lot of people put, you know, blurred backgrounds and they put different funny pictures or whatever it is for their, their different Zoom or Teams backgrounds, which is fine. And there's, there's a time and place for that. But I think you have to realize that we've all experienced that when you, when you change the background from anything other than the regular background, when you change the background, it sometimes makes it distorts or it makes things difficult to see on you. So you might not be able to see my body. You might not be able to see my hand gestures. You might not be able to see everything because my background is different. So I think you have to be very conscious of what that background looks like because it really does impact what people see. And then a real simple thing is where possible, turn your camera on. You know, again, I've I've been on presentations where the camera of the presenter is off. And again, if you want to talk about being able to connect with people, turning your cameras off is a great way to disconnect. If the audience turns their camera off, that's different. But for the presenter, I'm trying to connect with you. So Mm -hmm. I will have my camera on. There's just a few things that I do. But I think a lot of the same basic principles occur, just this idea of understanding what your presentation is going to look like from the audience's view. As soon as you start to realize that your presentation is for the audience, then I think sometimes it makes it clearer as to some of the things you need to do and some of the ways you prepare. My presentation is all about the audience. It's not about me. So you have to get really good at looking at the presentation through your audience's eyes and not just through your eyes. Yeah. What would you say is is crucial when it's coming to the visuals of a presentation. Now we know there's a lot of tips and tricks when it comes to creating your slide deck. Yeah, I think less is more. You know, a piece of advice I would always give people when you're creating a presentation, again, like this, the slides or whatever it's going to be, we need to use this the slides or the visuals as support for your presentation, but they can't be the presentation. I am the presentation. I am going to be up here speaking, sharing stories, engaging, whatever it is, but it's not. So the slides are just there as a, as a supporting material. So, you know, you can, you know, they, they say like, if you're putting a PowerPoint presentation together that, you know, you shouldn't have more than, you know, one line, maybe two for each bullet point, but typically if you can keep it to one, you know, each bullet point to like one line, that seems to be okay. Sometimes I see these presentations where there's like paragraphs and paragraphs written up on the slide. And that to me means that the slide, the screen is now taking over as the presentation. And that's, it's not the slide's job. If, if I wanted you to come to my, my meeting room and read a, read a slide, then I probably could have just emailed you the slides, saved everybody the time of getting together. Um, so it's not about the slide. The slide just needs to be this. It's the support. So sometimes I might put a little picture somewhere, a little diagram or chart, and, or I might put it, you know, couple of bullet points, fairly neat, tidy, concise, not very distracting, but again, just something I can refer to that, um, again, can either briefly take the attention off of me just for a moment so you don't have people staring at you the whole time. Um, The the other thing too is that sometimes I could use the slides maybe behind me as almost my reference for what I'm going to talk about next, because I think there's there's another takeaway here for 
presentation skills, which I've always thought, which is don't have anything in your hands if you can avoid it. You know, if you're if you're holding your notes in your hand, it, it, to me, it's very distracting uh, for the audience. So you either need to be at a podium where your notes are on the podium, or if you happen to be more like me and you walk around a little bit, then your hands need to be as empty as you can. Maybe you have a little clicker to advance the slides, but none of those distractions. So a couple of bullet points on the slides might help me for my own reference to keep the presentation going, but it shouldn't be any more than that. You know, I want to talk a little bit about you again and, and go into a fun fact. And, you know, I've learned you have a passion for astronomy. So where did this passion start? Astronomy. You know, I, I mean, listen, I, I grew up and uh, I think a lot of kids, maybe I just, I like looking at the sky. I like seeing stars and the moon and all that fun stuff. Probably no different than every, you know, any other kids. And, you know, I, I probably at some point in my life, I wanted to be an astronaut and I wanted to do all that travel. But interestingly, was when I went to university, I went to Western and my plan when I went to Western was that I wanted to get into a program called uh, medical biophysics, which is a whole other discussion. But really in order to get into that, which is a postgraduate program, I started off by I was going to double major in two different things. One was kinesiology and just this understanding of the body. And then the other part was physics. So for my first few years, I was taking kinesiology courses and physics courses. And of course, a big part of physics is astronomy. And so you have to take some, you know, elective courses. And I, I was filling up with some astronomy courses and I was starting to understand a little bit more about, you know, the movement and motion and how planets move and how galaxies move and all that fun stuff. And I think as I started to make the connection between what I was learning at school with what I was seeing when I look up in the sky, it just so enthralled. I mean, you can, you can enter your own Freudian joke here if you want, but I've just always been amazed at the size things or the speeds or the distances that you talk about when you start to think about, you know, planets that are, or, or stars that are literally millions and millions and millions of miles across, or you think of galaxies that are, you know, the galaxy we live in is a hundred thousand light years across. It's just, it's, it's massive. And that's a drop in the bucket compared to the, the size of the cosmos and how things move. So it, it's, I wouldn't consider myself an expert on it, but it certainly is something that is of great interest to me. And it's, it's become of interest. And, and now that I have two little kids, I, I try to share some of that with my four-year-old and six-year-old. We look out at the telescope and get to look at some planets and I explain to them what they're seeing. And it's, it's pretty cool. I guess I shouldn't say it's cool. Nobody's ever said it's cool, but uh, it's pretty fun, I should say. <laughs> so what would be the most fascinating thing you've seen in space? Like, what would you say? Do you, do you know what I love doing? And it's, and it's the most fascinating thing I've seen. I'm standing beside my telescope right now. The most fascinating thing I've seen, uh, which I see regularly, is I love to look at Saturn and I love to look at Jupiter. And they're the two biggest planets in our solar system. But Saturn to me is fascinating because it's 800 million miles away from the Earth, give or take a few. Um, but 800 million miles away, I can still see it from my backyard and I can see the rings around Saturn, which I just, I, I don't know, for me, it's just, I love just getting out there. It's, you know, depending on the season, you can see it most nights on a clear sky. You can just get out my telescope. And I mean, it's, it's a sm it's small, but I can definitely see the planet with the rings around it. And it's, it's one of the things that excites me. And Jupiter's the same. You can, you know, from my backyard, with the telescope I have, I can see Jupiter and I can see a bunch of its bigger moons. So it's just, and, you know, Jupiter, again, it's, it's 550 million miles away or something like that. So it's pretty cool to me that from my house, I can see something so clear that is just so far away. That's incredible. You know, to wrap things up, 
what would be some advice you would like to give to a new associate here at Good Life Fitness? New associate. Well, first off, it's a great company to work for. And it's, it's a reason why I've been here for 21 years. I, I love the company. I love the people. And I love what we do. You know, if I'm a new associate, I think I would recommend to, I don't want to say necessarily, you know, slow things down and take, but really there is, there's a lot of stuff to learn. And I think be patient with yourself. One of the things I love about good life is that I feel like we've always been very understanding when, when people make mistakes, it's a big part of the learning process is, is by making mistakes. So don't get too down on yourself when you make mistakes, but think of that as a, as a great learning opportunity because there's just so much it's 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 an industry that is constantly evolving and you know the better you can learn and the more you can learn about different roles the better you'll be able to find where your space is in our company and some people want to get into management and they want promotions but that that takes time give yourself some time you know some people want to move into different departments you want to move from sales to personal training or you want to move from personal training to group fitness or you want a home office position and we've got a whole variety of roles at home office that, you know, are just phenomenal and fantastic career opportunities. But I think the more patient you can be and the more learning you can have, the better you'll be being able to figure out where, where your space is in the industry, if that's, if that's what you choose. That's so true. And yeah, I thank you for sharing. Wes, it's been incredible. It has been so good to get to know you. You shared so many great tips and tricks on how to be a great presenter and some of the things we need to do if we are going to get up in front of a crowd and present. And it's official. You have made astronomy cool. You put it out there. You stamped it. It's now cool. And I, I want to find a way to see the rings of Saturn. So I, I am determined. <laughs> one of these days, one of these days, I'll bring my telescope over and, and uh, we'll take a look together. But Tim, I can't, thanks so much for having me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you and to, um, get this recorded and get this out to other people. Well, that's our show. I would like to thank Wes Lander once again for being our guest. 30 Minutes With is produced by Rochelle Lowry. Our intro and outro music is by Ketza. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it. Also, to learn more about Good Life Fitness, visit www.goodlifefitness.com. Good Life Fitness.